Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. As Kevin mentioned during the liturgy, this is a really, um, I think it's a great time of the year as far as the Torah portions. We've entered into Sefer Devarim, into the book of Deuteronomy. And last week we were in Devarim. This, this week the parasha, that's read commonly in the Jewish community, though there are several different reading schedules. But the beginning of Deuteronomy is, is uh, Devarim, then is Ve'et Hanan is the second portion, which is this week's portion. And I know over the years I've had many opportunities to speak during this week, this week after Tisha B'Av, and uh, as, as Shabbat Nachamu, as it's called in the Jewish world, this particular Sabbath. And there have been times when I opted not to speak about what I, what I think are two of the main sections really combined at one place, not to speak about the, the Shema and the Ve'ahavta. The Shema and the Ve'ahavta, as we'll discover, and I'll read it here in a moment. We say it every week here, and it's very gratifying to me. It's very, I think, a, a wonderful expression when I hear people reciting both the English and the Hebrew. And I know because there was a, a while back where we lost all power during one of the services. How many of you remember the service where we lost all electricity? Some of you were here. I was here. And... Um, we lost all electricity, so we didn't have any microphones or anything like that, and no amplification. So guess what? We had to actually say it all from memory because there was no PowerPoint either. All the liturgy by memory, including this section here, Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning with verse 4, all the way through chapter 9, and not just in English, but in Hebrew and English. And I can tell you, those of you who were here, I think you would verify this. This group aced it. They had it down. Who needs those PowerPoints? <laughs> but they had it down. And it was a very memorable service indeed. Well, we're going to talk about the Shema and the Ve'ahavta, but use these two sections. They're connected, uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, and Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 9. Uh, we're going to use these two sections as a springboard to something else. And then after I present what I want to present to you, <laughs> I'm going to turn the tables on my own message here. So let's get ready. It's got a lot of scripture today. If you have your scriptures, uh, please feel free to join along. I've asked uh, Carl's going to put them up PowerPoint for us so we can see them. They're from the New King James Version. So let's get into it. You know, an important and I would say a well-known and often repeated section of Scripture is what I was just talking about, this part of this week's parasha, the Shema and the Ve'ahavta. 
those who are regulars here are those two ideas, those Hebrew words, Shema, Ve'ahavta. Those two Hebrew words are not foreign to those who are regulars here or those who are in Daniel's um, Hebrew class, perhaps. But here's what that section says, Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning with verse 4, and going forward through verse 5 through 9. It says, the Hebrew, first Hebrew word is Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then it continues with the Ve'ahavta section, which means you shall love, in verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God, how? With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be where they shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, as I've expressed already here this morning, we are quite familiar at this congregation with those words, both the Hebrew and the English. But the New Covenant tells us or shows us, if we look at it carefully, that we're not the first people that were familiar with these words. Yeshua knew these words quite well. A passage in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28, they asked Yeshua, which is the first, the idea, which is the foremost, the preeminent, the, the first of all? Which is the first commandment of all? And Yeshua answered, the first of all the commandments is, by the way, that's a textbook answer of a question. You repeat back what was asked. It's an emphasis on the question. The first of all the commandments, that was what they had asked, which is the foremost. The first of all the commandments is Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he continues with what we call the Ve'ahavta, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. So twice he says, this is the first commandment. Don't you love how Yeshua responds to these queries? I mean, it is a great study to look at the Brit Hadashah, particularly the Besarot, the Gospels, and see when Yeshua is asked a question how he responds. And we can learn a lot from how he did this. He responds, the first of all the commandments is, and then he repeats the Shema or says the Shema. And then he continues, and I'm so glad he did continue. And the second like it, the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This, this passage from the book of Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he adds this, there is no other commandment greater than these. And you had the pleasure of hearing Kevin this morning explain and with a chuckle on his face, and I think I, I was chuckling too, but if we would just get these two things down, to love God and love our neighbor, 
we would be doing okay. How many agree with that? You'd be doing pretty good. If you get those two down, love God and love your neighbor, you'd be doing quite well in life, at least as God deems doing well. But Yeshua wasn't the only one who knew this. Rav Shaul, Paul the Apostle, refers to these several times. I'll mention one or two of them. But he writes to the Romans, which was a mixed group of both Jews and non-Jewish believers. He writes to the Romans, and in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, he says this, Owe no one anything. Notice the next phrase. No Owe no one anything except to love one another. You know why you're indebted to love one another. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the Torah, the law. And Rav Shaul also, Paul continues, and he adds more to this, and it's very intriguing what he says. He says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And then he adds this rejoinder, and if there is any other commandment, they're all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he continues with a bit of a midrash here. It says, love does no harm to a neighbor, Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the Torah. There's great proof there that Yeshua knew what we recite every week here. There's great proof that Rav Shaul, Paul the Apostle, knew what we recite every week here. And I would suggest that we need to know it too. And we need to know deep in our kishkas, deep in our lev, in our heart. He also wrote... Rav Shaul did in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2. He says, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains. I have all faith that I can remove mountains, but have not love, ahava. If I have not love, Paul audaciously says, I am nothing. And then he concluded in the same chapter, in chapter 13, verse 13, after he starts out, verse 2, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Then he concluded in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, he said, now abide, now remains faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This love that Rav Shaul speaks about, that Yeshua spoke about, Peter speaks about, James speaks about, they all seem to speak about, and particularly 1st Yohanan, 2nd Yohanan, and 3rd Yohanan, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. This love is magnified as the first of the spiritual fruit that's noted in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It begins, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? What's the first one mentioned? Love. It's as if that's the, you know, the, the starting point for all the other ones or the connecting point, the, the, the connecting tissue, if you would, of all the other fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. If you, if you miss that one, how are you going to have the other ones? But then Paul goes on and he mentions eight other fruit of the Spirit all connected to that first one, which seems magnified by its mentioning being mentioned first. The fruit of the Spirit is love. 
And previously in the same chapter, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, if you read that, cap- that chapter carefully, Paul reminded the Galatians that faith works by love. I like how the King James says that, by the way. It says, faith that worketh by love. He reminds them, he reminds the Galatians, all that they're doing, all their spirituality, he reminds them that faith works by love. And that means, at least to one idea of it, that means that faith is empowered or faith is activated. It's activated within our lives when God's love is found in our lives. Something's activated in our lives. Faith, trust in God. When God's love is found deep within our souls. And not just found, but exhibited. But Paul goes even further in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, in what is a very intriguing and a unique expression in the New Covenant. Paul writes all this stuff about love, agapeo, God's kind of love, the ahavav, Adonai, the Lord's love. But then in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9, he said, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. Do we have need that Rob Shul should write to us today about brotherly love? I would say so. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. Then he states this. It's a unique expression. He says, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Here's one of these clear statements that tells us what God is trying to teach us. He writes to the Thessalonians, Paul does, and says, you yourselves are taught by God to do what? To love one another. So who's doing the teaching here? It's God's doing the teaching to his people. You are taught by God to love one another. And did you catch that last statement? I'm purposely emphasizing it. You are taught by God to love one another. Now, there are many other verses in the Brit Hadashah in the New Covenant that are rooted in Torah passages like Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we are told to love God with all our being, or in verses like Leviticus 19.18, which we've already expressed, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. There are many passages that dovetail, connect with that, topically or thematically. And I'm purposely emphasizing the importance of love today. Purposely emphasizing that. The, the importance of twofold type of love, loving God and loving our neighbor with a pure kind of love. I'm purposely emphasizing that because in some ways we can say that our spiritual stability, our growth spiritually, the impact of our life upon others that we have contact with, Perhaps even our fruitfulness as Talmidim and Talmidot of the Lord, his disciples. And dare I say it, perhaps even our eternal destiny is connected to the love of the Messiah. Messiah's love. It's one thing to ask someone to do something and you don't have any intention of doing it yourself. But it's another thing when you're asked to do something by God and God has demonstrated his love blamelessly through Messiah Yeshua. 
There we have love incarnate, if you will, in Messiah Yeshua, and Jesus the Messiah. There we see love exhibited in his words, his questions, his actions, those. I mean, who, who can't, the, the simplest of verses, and Jesus wept, Yeshua wept, all the way up to the most complex Torah questions he's challenged with. And I would challenge you with this idea. Go and look and see what he says to them. And if you really peel it back a little bit, you're going to conclude one thing. If you really look at it carefully, what he said to them, he was saying in the love of God. And sometimes it's a direct word that's needed. Have you ever had to, have you ever been in need of someone to speak to you directly? I have many times. Have you ever been in the need of, you need someone to speak to you in a little less direct way? You're kind of ready to hear already. You don't need to be browbeaten. I have also. But we see a full demonstration of God's love for humanity when we look at what Yeshua did for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And Paul just didn't seem to be able to get away from this theme of love. Ahava. Agapeo. He couldn't get away from it. Continuously refers to it. And some have tried to point at Paul, the Apostle Paul, Rav Shaul, Rabbi Saul of Tarsus, and say, oh, this was a cruel, harsh, and, and uh, you know, really strong-tempered, strong-willed, and uh, law-unto-himself kind of man. But I don't see that when I see him. What I know of him historically, what I read in the Berit Hadashah and the New Covenant, points to a man who had been consumed by the love of the Messiah. And who wanted nothing more than for the love of the Messiah to flow through his life and change the hearts of those around him, whether it be his own Jewish brethren or whether it be the non-Jews who were out in Thessalonica and Colossae and out in places like that. There he was consumed by the love of God. And he talks over and over about this, that he's constrained by Havat Elohim, by the love of God. In Romans 5, 5, he declares, the love of God has been poured out. By the way, the language there, the Greek and the English, is not a little trickle. Drop, 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 drop. It's been poured out within our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit. Through the Ruach HaKodesh. God's love is poured out. And according to Romans chapter 8, verse 39, Messiah's love is inseparable from his people. He says, Me, Afrideno, me, Ahavatamashiach. Who can separate us? Who can cause us to part away from the love of the Messiah? Aren't you glad for the abiding love of God on your life? How many of you can say you're honestly glad that God's love hasn't departed from you? I'm so thankful when I do wrong that I can repent and turn to him. And he's forgiving. As we heard today, Shabbat Nachamu. Nachamu, Nachamu Ami. That, that Hebrew word is repeated twice to emphasize the, the, real, the real deal here is not Ami, my people. The real deal is comfort ye, comfort ye. And I'm so thankful for the love of God. We can, can, do, we can denounce deduce that God's love working in and through our lives is, hear this please, an essential part of our spiritual walk. His love working in our lives, and I hope we don't just relegate it 
to that, working in our lives and also working through our lives. Are you extending the love of God to others you have contact with? Because we are in a world that desperately needs Ahavat Elohim, the love of God. 1 John chapter 4, beginning verse 19. It testifies that, that God's love and, and the love of the brethren, loving God and loving the brethren, th- these are linked together in an inextricable way. They're linked together. Here's what First Yohanan says. We ourselves love now because he loved us first. Will you repeat that phrase with me? We ourselves love now because he loved us first. Let's say that again, please. We ourselves love now because he loved us first. Now, that was a somewhat of an anemic response there from all of you, but the dynamic of that verse is, is, is amazing. The, the truth of that verse is absolutely amazing. We ourselves love now. We love now because he loved us. Lest we think it all comes from us, it's innate to us. It's because of his love and what he did. And hereby we see the love of God that he laid down his life. Messiah laid down his life for you. Have you ever wonder if you're loved on the face of the earth? If anyone cares about you, know this. God loves you and he's proven it by sending his Ben Hayachid, his unique only begotten son, Yeshua the Messiah, for you. It continues, we ourselves love now because he loved us first. And then it gets really touchy in verse 20. If anyone says, I love God. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Let that sink in for a moment. For if a person does not love his brother whom he has seen, then he cannot love God whom he has not seen. If a person does not love his brother whom he has seen, then he cannot love God whom he has not seen. And verse 21 in 1 Yohanan chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, verse 21, then says this, yes, this is the command we have from him. Whoever loves God must love his brother too. Now, notice it doesn't have a little addendum to that verse. That, that would, the, the world would try to say that verse like this. Whoever loves God must love his brother too and everything that that brother does. That's not what the scripture says. We can love people but not necessarily appreciate or think they're doing the right thing at times. Even if society says it's okay. Our ultimate determiner of what is, can I use the term okay, is what God says. And what God says, that's what's okay. And if God says it's not okay, it doesn't matter what Oklahoma City Capitol says, doesn't matter what Moscow says, it doesn't matter what Kiev says, doesn't matter what anyone says. Let God be true, all men will be liars, but God will be true. God wants us to love him, that's for sure. 
He wants us to love him as we say during this parasha this week, He wants us to love him with all our being, with all our heart, with all our, that we are. To love him deeply, intimately, and ongoing. Not splotchy, but ongoing, day after day, to make sure the love of God is something that, that's there, that's foremost in our thinking. And even as he wants us to love him with all our being, you know what else? Do you remember what it says in First Thessalonians 4, 9? He himself is teaching us how to love one another. Sign me up first. I want all that teaching because I need it. Probably you do too. To learn how to love one another. So it all seems so simple, doesn't it? It's only two commandments. Come on there. The, the Taryag, the 613 that we find in the Torah, 613 commandments. There's only two. Let's just pick two, all right? We'll do these two. And we agree to do these two. We got it. It seems so simple. Love God and love your neighbor. It's so simple. It's not even stated in big theological terms in the Bible. Love God, love your neighbor. Four words precisely in English. So here's my question for you and me today. Mabaya, what's the problem? So what's the problem? It's that simple, love God, love your neighbor. So what's the problem? Well, apparently from the very beginning, God knew, mission control above knew, there's a problem. And the problem's found in fallen mankind. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of the God. We've all sinned. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Yeshua, the Messiah. There's no other way. Don't listen to what they tell you or what society may say. There's no other way except Yeshua, the Messiah. Either he is who he is or he's not, and he is who he is. My changed life is one example of that. How about you? How many of you can say Yeshua has changed your life? Mine is dramatically up. And I'm so thankful for the redeeming mercy, grace, and love of God. But apparently the Lord knew his simple plea for us to love him and to allow him to teach us to love one another with his love would not be so easily accomplished by the likes of us. No, we're working on it. And I'm thankful he's at work within our lives. And in fact, when you push comes to shove and you look at all of humanity and all the billions of people that ever lived, there's only one who actually did it. And blessed be his holy name, our Mashiach, Messiah Yeshua, was without sin, not a stray word. Satan had nothing in him. God seemed to know, though, the simple commandment to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, found rooted in Torah, all the way through the books that we find in the Berit Hadashah and the New Covenant. He knew there was a problem. And you can see it right after the Ve'ahavta. Notice Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. Did God know mission control there's a problem here? Yes. Here's what it says. 
After he says, all the things that we say, you shall love the Lord, you our heart, soul, mind, you shall bind, he's saying all the stuff that he says that we repeat every Shabbat. The very next verse, Devarim chapter 6, verse 10 says, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and you're full. Verse 12 comes almost immediately after the Ve'ahavta. Verse 12 then beware, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Perhaps a modern paraphrase of what we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 12 might be something like this. When you think you've arrived, when you feel you're successful, when you can see the fruit of your own labels and you feel pretty good about that, and when you are self-satisfied and you have plenty of things in your house and your belly, again, let me say what verse 12 says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And in the very next chapter, Devarim chapter 7, Deuteronomy chapter 7, God explains even more about his purpose and plan for Israel, which has implications for all those who would enter into covenant with him. He even expresses in Devarim chapter 7, Deuteronomy chapter 7, some of what his personal motivation was in delivering Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are Am Kodesh, you are holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be what? A people for himself. A special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set, notice this, he did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. Again, notice the next phrase in verse 8. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, Melech Mitzrayim, king of Egypt. What God displayed in his delivering power on behalf of the Jewish people, on behalf of Israel, he has offered his delivering power to every person across the face of the earth. Even to this very day, the Spirit of God calls and says, repent, come to me, come to me and live. Seek me and live, as Amos the prophet said, seek me and live. He extends through Yeshua, through Jesus the Messiah. And Yeshua's vicarious atonement, his sacrifice, he extends forgiveness and hope and a future to everyone. And wrapped all that up with a great big bow, if I can say it this way, of his unfailing love.
Now, we may feel at times fail in our expression of love to him, but his love does not fail. He is faithful and true, and his love, his truth, and his mercy endures forever. And friends here today, if you don't hear anything else I say, please hear this. He extends that to you freely. Freely you received. And what did Yeshua say? Freely give. Freely give. So no matter what kind of sin you may be struggling with here today, and there are some nasty sins out there, whatever kind of sin that may, may be, there's hope and mercy for you. Nachamu, nachamu ami, comfort ye, oh comfort ye, my people. There's mercy for you if you will repent and turn to the Lord today. Turn your life over to him. Turn that specific area of your life over to him. And most of all, turn your heart to him. Give him your heart. Bring the right words and go to the Lord and say, Lord, here am I. Have mercy on me. You see, God is no respecter of persons. Many times Scripture teaches that. Here's a couple examples. Peter, when he speaks to Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. How much partiality does God have? He shows no partiality. You know what? If you love God, you're known of him. Doesn't matter your pedigree or your background. It continues in verse 35. But in every nation, whoever reverences him, whoever fears him, and then notice this, what it says. Whoever fears him and works righteousness, does what is right in his sight is another way to say that. Whoever reverences him, fears him, and does what is right in his sight is accepted by him. Yeshua put it this way, if anyone comes to me, I will in no wise cast them out. How many of you have experienced the embrace, the embrace of the Messiah in your life? I did many years ago. I've never looked back. Sure, there's been ups and downs, but I've never looked back. And that's your testament, too, for many people here. You've never looked back. Through thick and thin, you've never looked back. You put your hand to that plow of the kingdom, and you did not look back. My friend from Kentucky told me what that really means. I didn't know. I was a Northeast kid. <laughs> what do I know about plows and hands to the plow? But he explained to me his father was a farmer. I won't say what he farmed, but it was tobacco. But his father was a farmer. <laughs> And he explained that when they plow, they still didn't have all the modern equipment. That stuff's expensive. But he said that his father taught him as a little boy, said that when you get your hand to the plow, you fix your eyes straight ahead, and you don't turn around because if you do, you know what happens? <laughs> Instead of the straight and narrow way, you're going all the way, all over the place. Friends, don't look back. Fix your eyes upon Yeshua as the author and the perfecter of your faith. If you're struggling with sin, go to him. Ask him to help you. He's merciful. Anachamu, nachamu, ami, Shabbat. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. He's merciful. Verse 35 of Acts chapter 10. Peter speaking to a Roman centurion. But in every nation. How many nations? 
every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness, does what is right in his sight, what's righteous in his sight, is accepted by him. And Paul states in Romans chapter 2, verse 11, very distinctly he says, for there is no partiality with God. If you repent and turn to him, he'll receive you. He'll take you unto himself. Now, friends, I mentioned that I wanted to turn the table a little bit on this message, so we're going to conclude with turning the table a little bit. There was a point in this message, I mentioned it twice, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9, where it points out that God is teaching us to love one another. And it's a very distinct point because there God is exhibited or shown to be the one who's teaching us, specifically teaching us to love one another. You remember that verse? For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. Now, if it is clear that God is teaching us to love one another, what are some of the things God is not teaching us? But sadly, our society seems be, to be trying to inculcate these things into our lives. What are some of those things? God's teaching us this great value, this eternal value of loving one another and based upon his love for us. But what's our society teaching us? Well, friends, as I began to think this through some, I began to make my list as to what our current society is trying to teach us. Be ye thankful here today that I stopped my list at seven. <laughs> but if you want a real challenge, sit down by yourself with a sheet of paper. Some people still use paper and pen. Sit down with a piece of paper and pen and write some of the things that you think our society or Western society is trying to inculcate into people now. Some of the themes, the principles, etc. It gets to be a harrowing list. But I'm just going to quickly suggest seven things, seven major teachings society is putting across to us now. And I feel and I pray often for the younger generation we need to support Camo, what Donna and her team do with the young people. We need to be praying for the young people. Marin and, and my youngest daughter is 23, going to be 24. But gosh, when you think about it, it's, it's, it's not getting easier, is it? It's getting more difficult. So these are here seven major teaching societies probably to put across, and they're really targeting younger people. And frankly, I'm holding back some of the more dramatic ones here today. You can fill them in with your list at home. But here's number one on my list. That humanity's ultimate hope springs from its own genius, abilities, and inventions. <laughs> In the Jewish world, we call that tikkun olam. <laughs> you know, that, that our hope is in mankind's efforts. Now, I'm not downplaying the need to do good things for society. But when we start looking at it, there's our real hope is in, in tikkun olam. Our efforts, our efforts, our efforts. Perhaps I'm old-fashioned here. Or maybe I'm just being biblical in front of you. But I believe it all comes down to Yeshua's efforts for us and what he did for us. 
That's the gate of eternity. There it is. You can do all the other stuff, but without Yeshua and redemption from your sins, where's eternity? What awaits you? And as Titus, we're studying Titus on Tuesday night, Titus mentions an interesting thought that dovetails back to the uh, Kittavim, to the writings in the Tanakh. It describes Yeshua as our living hope. Not just hope, our living hope. Ongoing present action, he is alive. Number one, humanity's ultimate hope springs from its own genius abilities and inventions. Society's pushing that really hard. Number two, (laughs) all roads lead to the same place. That is really being pushed. I'm okay, you're okay. That's how they said it a generation ago. But all roads are leading to the same place. Actually, it's not true because it will not be well for those who are wicked. It will not be well. It's not the same ultimate judgment for the wicked versus the righteous. And our righteousness is in Messiah Yeshua through faith. Do all roads lead to the same place? No. Well, unless you want to say to the judgment of God, where he decides. But read Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. He uses the term where he divides the sheep and the goats. He's speaking of nations. And that which you've done to the least of these, you've done unto these is my brethren, the Jewish people. You've done unto me. Number three of seven. Oh, this one, I am hearing this all the time. Hearing this, I'm reading it, etc. Number three, each person has their own truth. Each person has their own truth. It's being stated, well, this is my truth. That's his truth. That's her truth. The last that I got, and maybe again, I'm old-fashioned, maybe just plain biblical here before you, but as far as I'm concerned, Yeshua is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Do I understand all that? No, but it's true. And my, my prayer is that each person will adapt or take or be embraced by Yeshua as their truth, that they'll understand he's the way, the truth, and the life. Each person has their own truth. And right in the middle of the seven is number four. (laughs) Number four has a lot of different deviations to it or variations. But number four is, you're number one. Look out for number one above all else. And it points to you or to me. It says, you're the most important. Well, maybe in a way in the sight of God... There's an axiom that says if we were the only person that walked the face of the earth, Yeshua would have laid down his life for us. And I've thought about that much, and I think it's true because of his character and nature. But your number one, look out for number one above all, really flies in the face of what Yeshua taught. He taught us to deny ourselves daily and to take up our cross daily to deny ourselves To me, that means that we're not number one. Actually, who's number one? He is. And we are his Talmudim, his disciples. We are glad followers of a very faithful God. 
Number five. Oh, this one is found all the way back in Scripture. It's very common now. I mean, it's there. It was even in the time of uh, the Exodus. Number five. I'll use modern terms, the first two words. Have fun. Have fun. Just eat, drink, and be merry. Let's all be happy. Let's all be happy. Well, I do believe in happiness. I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky guy. Probably you are too, guy or gal. But that's not the full ball of wax about what life is about. Sometimes we have to mourn for those who are dying in their sin. Sometimes we have to plead in intercession with groanings too deep. Only the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, could give them to us. And we have to plead in prayer. As the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, makes intercession through us and groanings we don't even understand too deep for us. It's a little different than just have fun, eat, drink, and be merry. As if the best times in life are only involved with that kind of thing. No. Some of the best times in life can be when you go through something together and you get through it together. Or when you, you've overcome a temptation or a test and you've been faithful to God through, there's the best part of it right there. Because, you know, faithful is he who has called you and even, even he shall bring it to pass in your life. What well, he has, the good plan that he started in your life, he's going to complete it onto his day. Really, the bottom line is fear God and keep his commandments. There you go. Have fun, just eat, drink, and be merry. Really, fear God and keep his commandments. And whatever he allots to you, joyfully walk in it. And number six. Oh, this is a biggie. <laughs> number six. Science says it, that settles it. Science says it, that settles it. I'm obviously playing on something. Some of you may have heard this before. God said it, and that settles it. Well, in this case, our society is obviously science says it, and that settles it. Well, I don't know about that. One translation says, beware of the proofs of science in the Pauline epistles. I'm surprised I'm not frozen to death now. I mean, we were supposed to die of the ice age. I'm surprised. I mean, we were sold that hook line. How many know that what I'm saying is true? We were told that an ice age was coming. Get ready. Buy your best clothes and get it ready. Have fuel for fires, blah, 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 blah. You're going to freeze to death. Arctic is going to consume America. Now they're saying, we're going to burn up. I wish they'd make up their mind, you know, about all this. Really, it doesn't matter what they say. You know what matters? What God says. His will is what matters. It doesn't matter. Science says that that settles really what God says that settles it right there. Not one of his words will fail. And lastly, and I'll conclude with this. Number seven, and again, if you really want a fun thing to do, sit down. Don't use these seven. Figure out your own. What is, what's the society trying to tell you? And if you really want extra credit on this, what's God's word says in response to that? You might be surprised what's out there. Maybe not in the airwaves. But number seven, 
Yeshua or Jesus, was a good man among many other good men. Boy, they're saying that all over. Called the even Stevens philosophy. What you do for one, you got to do for the others. So Yeshua, Muhammad, Buddha, and they were all good people there. Well, I'm not downplaying that. I don't know their lives. I mean, I know some of the history. But I know this, that this particular idea is very wrong and very misleading. Because there's truly no one comparable to Yeshua the Messiah. And how can I stand here and say that so forcefully? I can say that because there is an empty tomb and a risen Lord, and he's coming back again for us. He's incomparable. He rose from the dead, and he is Lord, and in his name forgiveness is out there to those who repent and receive him. He's extending mercy, but he's coming back again, and don't think he's not. He is coming back. And the world may not be ready for his appearing, but if we will walk tenderly with the Lord in these days, not get caught up in these false teachings of our society, but get caught up in the word of God and in the living word of God, if we will walk tenderly with him and serve God in our day, in our generation, the time he gives to us, and we persevere in faith, and we grow in the love of God being exhibited through us to others, my sneaky suspicion is that we will not be ashamed when Yeshua returns. We will say, Bo Yeshua, Bo, Maranatha, come Yeshua, come. An overindulgent society of people who are sure of their own genius, who are trusting in their own ways while refusing to repent and acknowledge that grace and mercy extended through Yeshua the Messiah, that uniquely so, no other name given among men whereby you can be saved but Yeshua the Messiah. If you cast him aside, there's nowhere else to go. In our overindulged society, they refuse to acknowledge him or tries to make him even Stephen with everybody else there whom he's not will one day learn how mistaken they are. And I don't say that with glee. I say that with sorrow. I want everyone to be saved. How many of you want everyone to be saved? God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to a knowledge of the truth, and the truth is uniquely in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. And Yeshua's love for mankind should speak to each of us here today. And even as his love speaks to us, let me leave you with this. So too his warnings. His warnings. I'll leave you with this parable. It really connects very well back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 12. You remember what Deuteronomy chapter 6, 12 says? It says, and be, but beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Let me lead you with this parable. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 16. Then Yeshua spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. 
I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said, but God said to him, fool, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? And verse 21, Yeshua explains, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Will you pray with me, please? Father, we praise you this day. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love, O oh Lord. You pulled us out of the miry clay, out of the pits of Sheol. Lord, I ask that you would help us, as only you can, to love one another. For you said, by this shall all people know that you are my disciples, if ye have loved one for another. Please help us, Lord, to step forward and not only just love one another within the body of believers, but to look with your eyes of love on those who are lost, those who are losing their way those who have taken sidetracked, have been sidetracked. Help us, Lord, to be vessels for you, for the extension of your love, without having our own garments spotted by false beliefs or sinful actions or evil words. Lord, thank you for each person here today. Thank you for what you're doing in each life. I pray, Lord, even as your word is true, that you will complete that good work that you've begun even unto the day of your son Yeshua's return. And I ask these things according to his merit alone. In the name of Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.